Grab your Bibles or your phone or your tablet and meet me in Ephesians chapter 2. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 2 today. If you need a Bible, there's one on the pew in front of you. It's page 1174 in that Bible. We have come to the end of our series that we've called Another Helper, Getting to Know the Holy Spirit. We've been here for nine weeks, and we will be moving on to some other things as we go through April. Uh, But we are wrapping up this series today, and someone had asked me a few weeks ago, meaning the series, uh, you know, when are we going to be done with the Holy Spirit? And being a wise guy, I said, well, never. He's eternally with us all the time, and we will always be with us. But the series will be done uh, as we come in. And we've got Easter coming up. We've got Mission Sunday coming up and a few different things. But uh, we will wrap this up formally today. If you've missed any of the messages, they are all online. Uh, They're on our website. We also have a podcast set up through iTunes where you can sign up for that, and it'll just download to your phone automatically every week, which is awesome. So you can find us there as well. Uh, The whole series will be online. This was not the church that I grew up in. It looks a little bit like that, though. I couldn't find a picture of the church I grew up in because the church looks very different now. But I grew up and got saved and started going to a church with my family uh, that's called Lake Mount Worship Center in Grimsby, Ontario, Pentecostal Church. And it looked a little bit like that. It was kind of classic-looking, red brick, uh, was small, smaller than that. And as we were attending there for many years, over time, the church grew. And as the church grew, uh, not unlike our church, we started to run out of space. And so we went to two services, and we're starting to make long-term plans of what does that look like, just like we're doing here. And as we began to have discussions of, well, do we build? Do we expand our sanctuary? Do we build a new sanctuary? Do we uh, sell this property and buy somewhere else? And as the church was wrestling through all of those things back then, there was a little bit of concern, and it was a good concern. It was an honoring concern, uh, just about some of maybe the older people in the church who had been there for a long time, uh, who had helped build that current building, who had helped build the sanctuary. And there was some concern about the sanctuary itself because uh, the word sanctuary means holy place or holy ground. And so there was some concern about, you know what, if we start tearing down walls and if we start expanding in the sanctuary, uh, some people might not love that idea. And so let's talk to some of these people. And there's one gentleman in particular who had been in the church his entire life. He was dedicated in the church as a baby and he had been baptized in that church and he'd been married in that church and his kids were now getting married in the church, like all in the sanctuary. And I think his father or his grandfather had actually built the church and been a part of that. And so they were struggling with him and and just not struggling, but worried about, well, how will he feel if we start talking about tearing down the sanctuary? And so we sat down with him. The leadership sat down with him and just said, this is what we're thinking of doing. How do you feel about that if we started, like, knocking out sanctuary walls? And his answer is one of my favorite answers ever. He said, give me a sledgehammer. I'll help you knock down the walls myself. And I thought, oh, that's such a great answer. That's such a great answer for someone who had spent his whole life in this place. And he understood where we are going today, which is that the sanctuary, which means holy place, it means holy ground, is actually not holy in itself. There is nothing special about this room in here in itself. This room is not holy ground because of anything special about it. The room is holy ground for other reasons, which we're going to get into today. But the room itself is just a room. Let's take a look at our text, and I'll dig more into that as we go. We're in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 19. 
In Ephesians 2, Paul has been talking about how the family of God has been brought together, that there are the Jewish people that God has chosen as his people, and then there are most of us, which are Gentiles. Uh, I'm not Jewish myself, and, and many of you won't be as well. And the Gentiles, uh, for the first time in Jesus, are being welcomed into the family of God. The family of God has been Israel up to this point, and now non-Jewish people are being welcomed in. So in verse 19, Paul says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And so there is a shift that happens as we move from Old Testament to New Testament, where in the Old Testament, God lived in a building. He lived in the temple. But in the New Testament, that mentality is shifting because now God doesn't live in a building. Now God lives in us. God has made his home in us. God's spirit lives in us. And as the Old Testament shifts to the New Testament, it's hard to kind of get your head in how much of a, a mental crazy shift that must have been for them at that time, where for your whole life you've been taught God lives in the temple and you go to the temple to meet with God, and God's presence dwells there, his glory dwells there, and then all of a sudden there's this shift, and now it's not about going to the temple anymore. Now actually you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God lives in you, and it's not about a building anymore. This is something that maybe we know or, or maybe we're learning, but it must have been just such a crazy shift of thinking for the people of that time that God would dwell inside of us. In the 70s and 80s, we used to use the language of, uh, have you invited Jesus into your heart? Do you remember that? That was part of what we meant by, are you saved? Are you a Christian? Have you invited Jesus into your heart? And sometimes snarky people would stand up and they'd say, the Bible doesn't say Jesus comes into your heart. That's not in there. I don't know why they talk that way, but they do, all of them. And technically, they're right. Technically, the phrase, invite Jesus into your heart, is not in the Bible. But the Bible says a lot of things like this. John chapter 14, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate or another helper, that's what we named our series, to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Romans 8, 11, Paul writes, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. 2 Timothy 1, 14, Paul writes, Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. 1 John three twenty four: The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? 1 Corinthians 6.19, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? And so while the phrase, invite Jesus into your heart, is not necessarily in there, there is a very clear theme in the New Testament that God has made his home in us. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God has chosen to reside in you. And that is a shift from the idea that God lives in a building. But God has chosen to make his home in you. So if anyone ever gets snarky with you about, it's not in there, about Jesus in the heart, you've got a bunch of scriptures you can throw in their face and make them feel stupid. 
that Jesus technically, yes, is in heaven right now, but Jesus' spirit lives in us. God has made his home in us. And it's just such a a mind-boggling thought, really, that God, creator God, almighty God, maker of heaven and earth, creator of all that is, the one who put the stars in place, who made the sun, the moon, the one who formed you in your mother's womb, the one who watches over everything, who upholds the universe by his powerful, mighty word, the God who has dealt with sin at the cross, who has triumphed over death, who will return one day in victory for the fullness of everything that he has promised us coming to pass, that God could be anywhere he wanted, and he's chosen to reside in you. He's chosen to make his home right here. He couldn't possibly be any closer than he is right now. God has made his home in you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, you had the temple, the literal temple. It was ordained by God, built in Jerusalem. And that was where you went for your sacrifices and Jewish people, no matter where you lived in Israel, multiple times a year for the feast, you had to pilgrimage to Jerusalem and you had to offer your sacrifices and bring your offerings. And the temple was there and it was holy ground. It was called holy ground. It was so holy that most people were not allowed to go inside it. You could come into the outer courts, but you were not allowed to go into the building itself. Only the priests were allowed to go into the building. And within the building itself, there was a section that was curtained off entirely. And so the temple was holy ground, but the place behind the curtain was called the Holy of Holies. It was the most holy place. And in the most holy place, the Ark of the Covenant was there and some different things, but in the most holy place, that's where the glory and the presence of God rested. And in the the broad sense, God is everywhere, of course, but the presence and the glory of God was concentrated in the Holy of Holies. And that place was so holy that you never went in there. Once a year, a priest went in. But other than that, you stayed away. It was too holy. It was too perfect. It was too, too much of the glory of God. You just couldn't go there. And God's presence and his glory were concentrated on this one bit of geography right there, the Holy of Holies. And all of this happening in God's temple. The temple was a holy place. When Jesus shows up, he starts saying things like, I'm the temple now. And the the Pharisees took that as blasphemy. They didn't understand what he was getting at. That Jesus made claims that he was the temple. And that he could tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days. And they thought he was speaking against God's holy place. They didn't like that very much, but he was talking about himself. Whereas in the Old Testament, in the the time before Jesus, the glory and presence of God was in the Holy of Holies. It was concentrated in the building, and you had to go to the building to meet God. Now that Jesus, who is God, is walking around, he brings the glory and the presence of God wherever he goes. You don't need to go to a building to meet with God. When Jesus is right in front of you, you're meeting with God right there. And the glory and presence of God are there with him. But the promise, the last part of the promise that Jesus brings, the last stage of the gospel, is that after he deals with our sin on the cross, after he rises from the dead, after he returns to the Father, that's not the end of the story. Because he said, I'm going to go, and then the Spirit is going to come. God's glory and presence was in the temple. God's glory and presence was on me, Jesus. But when I leave, God's glory and presence is going to come on you. On anyone who calls out to Jesus, the Holy Spirit will come. And on the day of Pentecost, as the Spirit came and filled believers for the first time, it was the beginning of the final shift of this great God story, that God was confined in his presence to the temple and then was revealed fully in in Jesus, but now was going to live in every single believer. 
It wasn't just going to be for one, one person. It wasn't going to be for one place in time. God's glory and God's presence dwells in you because he lives in you. And the best thing about God living in all of us is that we're super mobile. We're not tied to a building. We can take God's presence anywhere we go. And when Jesus said things like, you're the light of the world, that's right. God's glory is in you, and it's meant to be taken. It's not meant to be confined to a building. It's meant to be on the move to the whole world. And so the shift happens from Old Testament to New Testament. God is in the temple, and then Jesus says, I am the temple. And then Paul writes, now you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You have God in you. You have his glory and his presence in you. You have his light in you. Divine wisdom, divine power, you have it all. Because of all the places in the universe that God could choose to be, he has chosen to make his home in you. He has chosen to reside in us who follow after Jesus. In our text this week, Paul writes in verse 19, Consequently, you, meaning specifically Gentiles, uh, which would be most of us, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. God has been dealing primarily with Israel up to this point. Israel is his chosen people. But you who are not Jewish, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you are now fellow citizens with God's people. The Apostle Paul in Romans will use the language of adoption. Israel is God's firstborn children, but we have been adopted into his family. We are welcomed in to participate in all the blessings that children get, especially when your father's the king. We are entitled to all of it. We have been welcomed in as members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And then this building metaphor starts to, to kick in. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, not the people themselves, but the gospel that they proclaimed. When Peter was asked, who is Jesus? And he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus says, upon this foundation, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail over it. And so the gospel is the foundation. Jesus is the cornerstone. And we have been welcomed in to be a part of this building that God is building. Jesus said, I will build my church. And that should theoretically keep us humble and from getting too full of ourselves because we're not building ministry here. We're not making amazing things happen. God is building his church. And any amazing things that are happening are because his spirit is doing the work, as we've been talking about through this series. But God is building the church. We're grateful to be growing, but God is building the church. He is the one who is doing it on the foundation of the gospel with Jesus tying it all together. There's a warning in Genesis chapter 11, the story of the Tower of Babel. If you remember the story from Sunday school way back in the day. Uh, and in this story, it says that the people of earth, this is pretty early in humanity's story, and, and everyone speaks one language and are all one people. And it says that they got together and said, we will build a great city, we will build a great tower up to the heavens, we will make a great name for ourselves. We will build something that glorifies us. And it says, God looked down and saw what they were doing, and his reaction was, oh, wow, they will, too. They will do this. They will accomplish this. These people that I have made in my image, who I have given creativity and all of these things to, to do and all of these gifts, they will build this great thing, and that is not good. If they do this on their own, they will forget God altogether, and then they will do everything on their own strength, and that's not good for anybody. And so in the story, it says that's where the languages got confused, and people began to break off into their different groups. And it's a warning for all of us that even in God's eyes, like we can accomplish a lot by ourselves. 
And what we've been talking about throughout this series is our job is to walk with the Spirit. Galatians 5.25, since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Let's not run ahead of Him and leave Him behind just doing what we want to do. Let's not be too cautious and sit back while He's moving off somewhere else and, and not doing anything. But it takes practice, it takes time, it takes experience to learn how to keep in step with the Spirit. The hardest thing I have found is not always sensing what God wants us to do, but I find the timing is almost very, almost always very difficult to nail down. Uh, keeping in step with the Spirit can be tough, and we got to learn how to do that and pray into that and do our best, because we can accomplish a lot all by ourselves. That's what the Tower of Babel story teaches us, but we want to be doing this with God, because we've called this series Another Helper, the premise being life is easier when you've got a helper. We don't have to work as hard as we've been working if we'll let the Holy Spirit work in us and work through us. He has come to lighten the load for us, and so we want to keep in step with the Spirit. Paul says that in verse 20, that with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone of this building that God is building, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And so again, it's not about a church building, it's about us, it is about the people. First Peter uses the language of, you are like living stones, you are being put into place by God to build this temple that worships his name, and Jesus is the cornerstone. And some churches will actually uh, find a cornerstone of their building, and they will dedicate it to Jesus, like in this picture here. And he's using an image that anyone at the time would have understood. Most of us are not really masons, I would say, in terms of being great with stone or that kind of thing, and we don't build lots with stone necessarily anymore. But in Paul's time, everyone knows what the cornerstone is, and it was on one of the corners of the building. It was a bigger stone than the other stones. It bore a lot of weight on it, and it was usually either the, the very bottom row that touched the ground. Sometimes it was one row up uh, because the building would sometimes sink into the mud a little bit, but you had a bigger one, a bigger stone that was on the corner, and in a house you would often write your family name on it uh, just as a way of marking that this was your house. But if you pull that stone out, that big load-bearing stone that's bigger than all the others, it's like, remember Jenga, where you take a block from the bottom? You pull that stone out, and that corner falls, right? All the bricks on top of it come down. And if that corner falls, then the two walls attached to that corner also fall. And if those two walls fall, there's nothing holding the remaining two walls together, so they fall. So the whole building literally is held together by this one stone. And Paul says, that's Jesus in the church. He is the one that holds this all together. It's all about him. And I was so impressed when I came to Meadowbrook that just this whole idea of being Christ-centered uh, was so prevalent. And we're not perfect at that by any means, but the idea that Jesus is central, the gospel is central, his teachings are central, it all comes down to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He is the most important part of anything we do. It's not about the, the ministries or even about the people necessarily. Those are all crucial, but Jesus is more so. He is the thing that holds us all together. And the foundation that it's being laid on the bottom by the apostles and the prophets is the gospel. And Jesus is building his church on this gospel. That, that Jesus came down as God. That God looked down and saw us struggling and saw us sinful and saw us separate from him like wandering sheep. And so he came down in Jesus. And he lived our life with us. And he struggled with us, and he suffered with us, and he wept with us, and he rejoiced with us, and he lived this human experience with us. 
And where our sins had cut us off from God because we had broken God's law, where we have gone our own way, where we have said, I don't need you, where we have separated ourselves from God, and where our law-breaking demanded punishment, Jesus stood up and said, Father, I will take the punishment that they deserve. Put it on me instead of them. And he does this on the cross, and he lays down his life to take the punishment that we deserved. That's not the end of the story. Because on the third day, Scripture says he rose from the dead because he was big, because he was powerful, because, Scripture says, it was not possible for death to keep its hold on him. He was too big. He was too strong. And so he overcame death, and death loses its power. It used to be when you died, that was it. And now that death has been overcome for him, we have been promised that it is overcome for us as well. So our sins are dealt with. We are brought back into connection and communion with God. And we don't need to worry about death anymore. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And even that's not the end of the story. Because as he rose from the dead and as he got ready to return to heaven and return to the Father, he said to his disciples, I'm not leaving you alone as I go. I'm not leaving you, even with just my word, which is holy and divine and inspired, I'm not even just leaving you with that because the Holy Spirit is going to come. Another helper is going to come. I will not leave you as orphans. You will not be left alone. Even though I'm leaving, God the Son is returning to heaven. God the Spirit is coming, and he's going to make his home inside you. You will not be able to be any closer to God than that. He will fill you from the inside, and his divine power will give you everything you need for a godly life. You will have it all. The helper is in you right now, and he has everything you need. His direction is there all the time. His wisdom is there all the time. His power is there all the time. His comfort is there all the time. His presence is there all the time. Of all the places God could be, he has chosen to make his home in you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells in you. He resides there. Verse 20 of our text says, In Jesus the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. In verse 21, And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. You are this place where God dwells, where he lives. And the key word is, you are being built together. Not by yourself, together this happens. That all of us have God individually, but what's much more important is when we come together as we use the Spirit within us and use the gifts that He's given us and as we encourage one another and pray together and and discern together and figure things out together, that's where the fullness of the Holy Spirit gets expressed. It's not about one person doing anything. It's about us together, hearing from God together and learning together. Again, something I so valued in the Meadowbrook Church and in the Mennonites and Anabaptists in general is they have this philosophy that says we discern God's word together. It's not just about what a pastor says, that we will together dig into the scriptures. We will together pray into these things. We will together discern direction for our church. It's so important because I have the Holy Spirit within me, but I'm still just one person. And the Holy Spirit speaks to me, but he's also speaking through a lot of flesh and sin and and just Chris in there. And I don't get it right all the time. I don't hear from him perfectly all the time. And so I need Rob for insight, and I need Brian, and I need Natalie, and I need Jamie, and they need me, and we need to do this together. Together, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so when we talk about this sanctuary, we talk about this room, like we still meet with God in this room, right? Don't get me wrong. This still is a special place, but it's not because the ground or the geography is special. 
It's not because this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's because this, you and me, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we could have the same experience here out on the lawn or in a gym somewhere off-site or in somebody's house. We can meet with God anywhere because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We bring him with us wherever we go. So it's important to gather together, crucially important. Don't misunderstand that. But it's not the fact that this is the sanctuary that we meet with God here. It's the fact that we, you and I, are here. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, not this. This is a very convenient room where we can meet and meet with God here because we are here. Years ago, I was on a ministry trip to Zambia. And on a Sunday morning, I was preaching in this church, and it's a bit washed out, that picture, but uh, it was just brick, and they were literally building their building brick by brick, and there were huge gaps in the wall everywhere. And so where you see light coming in at the top and the side, those aren't windows. Those are just open spaces because they don't have enough bricks yet uh, to fill in that spot, and the roof was half done, and the floor there is just dirt. And I was preaching there that day, and it was just a little tiny building, and this is the pastor and the youth group of the church, and they were leading us in worship, and it was so beautifully powerful. Uh, I just wept the whole time. God's presence was so profound and intense there. And they had no electricity, they had no running water, but they, being the temple of the Holy Spirit, had the glory and power of God within them, and as they used their gifts, it felt like the presence of God just filled the place. So we don't always need big, fancy things, obviously, for God to move, because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But there were huge gaps in the wall everywhere, and I was talking to the pastor afterwards and said, that must be tough, that there's just wide open spaces. And I learned that day that Zambia doesn't have four seasons, they only have two seasons. They have wet season and they have dry season. And so it literally doesn't rain for six months, total famine, and then it literally does nothing but rain for six months. And so that's why they have difficulty growing things there. But I just said, it must be tough with all these holes in the wall. He said, yeah, in the wet season, it's not fun. Like, there's just wide open spaces and rain blasting in, and the floor gets muddy, and it's not really great. And it's just a good picture. And we we were able, thankfully, while we were there, to give them money to help them finish it off so they could at least close it in. But when there's holes in the wall, when the, there's bricks missing, it's not just about the fact that there's a missing brick. Everybody gets affected by that. We've spent time in this series talking about gifts and saying, you know what? Like, I have a gift to bring. You have a gift to bring. If I choose not to bring my gift, that's not just about me. I affect you, right? If you have a gift that you choose not to bring, that doesn't just affect you. That affects me. Right? We are all the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when there's holes in the wall, we all get affected by that. On the flip side of that, in the good news of that, when we all bring what we've got to bring, there's tremendous blessing there because we are all the temple of the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit in me, and I need the Holy Spirit in you. I need what you have to bring. And you need what I have, and you need what Sherry has, and she needs what you have. This is all this picture of the building, all the bricks leaning on each other, connected to to each other, with Jesus there as the chief cornerstone holding it all together. But we all have a part to play in this. It's not just you as an individual are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It is you corporately, you as a group, you as a family. We are all together the temple of the Holy Spirit because God has chosen to make his home right here inside us. And whatever's going on in the world and whatever's going on in the news and whatever circumstances I am facing and whatever struggle I am going through, God, the helper, the spirit, is always here. He has made his home in us. We are the temple 
of the Holy Spirit. And everything I need is already there. There's not more to come. We'll grow in it and mature in it, but his divine power, Scripture says, has given us everything we need for a godly life. I've got it all on me already. I don't need to wait for more. I've already got it. His presence and his power and his glory have chosen to reside in me. The helper has come, and he's there all the time. As we've gone through this series, just as we get ready to wrap up, we started with a message called Another Helper. So we named the series, and we just wanted to lay that out. Jesus said, when I leave, another helper is coming, and he will be with you forever. Pastor Mesh preached a sermon one week called The Leading of the Spirit, talking about how the Holy Spirit leads us day to day in our lives. We took a week that we called That's the Spirit's Job, uh, looking at all the different things that the Bible says the Holy Spirit will do for us. He's our helper, but how does he help us? We explored that all this week. We took one week that we called Dove, Fire, Water, Wind, talking about four metaphors, four word pictures that Scripture uses to, d- uh, to discuss the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is like a dove. He's like a fire. He's like water. He's like wind. Just to help us get to understand him and his personality a little bit better. We took a week to talk about the fruit of the Spirit, the good character qualities that God is looking to develop in us in a message called Holy Ghost Gardener. We took a week to discuss the gifts of the Spirit, uh, the different ways in which he has empowered us to be a blessing to others and to the world around us in a message called the Gift Giver. We took a week to talk about sin and holiness and how uh, the Holy Spirit calls us to holiness but doesn't just call us to holiness, actually helps us to overcome our sin in a message that we call the sin murdering spirit i still love that title of all the titles in this series i think that's pretty good Uh, last week we did a message called go with the flow where we talked about how we can get on the page of where he is going how can we discern where he is moving and get on that page rather than just doing whatever we feel like and saying god bless what i'm doing how do we get where he is going and how do we get on board with that And then we've wrapped up today with a message called The Spirit's Home, that God Almighty, of all the places he could be, has chosen to make his home in you and in me. And with that, that is a series wrap on another helper. I hope it was helpful for you. Uh, We are happy to continue the conversation. And uh, as I joked about earlier, we're done with the Holy Spirit series. We are not done with the Holy Spirit uh, at all. And so uh, if you want to keep talking about this, we have an email address, questions at meadowbrook.ca, and we would be happy to keep having the conversation conversation that emails in your bulletin if you have any questions or comments about the message today come on up worship team one of the things we did through this series was we gave you a reading plan and we read through the book of acts and we actually read through it three times and we wrapped it up on friday did you do it doesn't it feel good to be done i love that final check mark cha-ching we did the whole thing we read through the book of acts three times in nine weeks and part of the reason we did that, well, the main reason we did that was because we uh, were going to be talking about the theology and the person of the Holy Spirit, but Acts is the narrative uh, of what a Spirit-filled life looks like, what a Spirit-filled church looks like. And so it gives us a context for the things that we were learning. And so we read through Acts together multiple times, and, and that's a good practice. Sometimes when we read the Bible, it's easy to read it and just skip on to the next thing. But if you read it over again and over again and over again, sometimes you just see new things, and it hits you in a new way. And I've read Acts many times in my life and I just saw brand new things this time as we read through it and one of the things that a few of you have pointed out is that the book of Acts ends somewhat abruptly Uh, the gospels end with a resurrection and a great commission and there's kind of a bow on the whole thing and the rest of the New Testament, because it was typically letters, uh, just wraps up like a letter would with final blessings and farewells. Like there's, there sort of feels like there's closure at the end of the Gospels. There's closure at the end of the letters. And Acts doesn't really do that. The end of Acts 28, uh, verse 30 and 31, 
Paul's been arrested, it just says, For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And that's it. That's the last word. We don't find out what happens to Paul. We don't find out what happened to Peter, right? There's all these different storylines in the book of Acts. And then we're following Peter for a while. And there's this incredible shipwreck and divine providence saving them. And they arrive on the island of Malta. And he has made this appeal of, I want to preach the gospel to Caesar. So I'm going to Rome to preach to the emperor of the Roman Empire. And then the story just ends, right? Where's my closure? What happened? Did he preach there or not? Did he make it or not? He didn't. Spoiler alert, he, he died, unfortunately. He got to preach, and then he was martyred. But we don't hear any of that story. We don't hear any of Peter's story. We don't hear what happened to John or, or anyone else. It just kind of ends abruptly. And it's just, where's the bow on the end of the story? Where's the, the conclusion? It feels unsettled. It feels unfinished. And where many scholars and, and experts and preachers and pastors have landed that I happen to agree with is... Uh, there's no closure on purpose in the book of Acts. There's no concluding thought on that narrative uh, because the story is still being written. It's not done yet. Right? The story of a spirit-filled church, that's not done yet. The story of the mission of God, that's not done yet. The story of the Holy Spirit at work in this world, that's not done yet. That story is still going on, and we are playing parts in this story. We are characters in the story of this great God mission that he is working out to bring the world to Jesus, to reconcile everyone back to himself, to redeem and restore that which has been lost. The story is still ongoing. And we have a choice on whether we're going to step up and step into that story or not, whether we're going to sit back and let others do all the work. But the same spirit who filled Paul filled you. He's no different. The same spirit that filled Peter fills you. No different. The same spirit that filled Jesus has made his home in you. You are the dwelling place of God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the ones that he has chosen to live in, and he is there all the time. And so our choice is, will we step up and continue the story that those before us have started to write? Are we going to jump in and be a part of what God is doing all around the world? Because his divine power has given us everything we need. We've got it already. He's there. He's made his home in us. Before we close, would you stand with me as we worship a little bit? And then we'll end in prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you have done and all that you are doing and all that you will do as we walk out what you have given us, Lord, the deposit of what you have put into our lives, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that you have made your home with us. Uh, it's such an incredible and humbling and awing thought. And help us to be faithful to that call, to walk in the path, Lord, of those who have gone before us in the power of the Holy Spirit and who saw the world changed in incredible ways. So fill us, Holy Spirit. Guide us. Lead us. Give us wisdom. Give us direction. Give us power. Give us insight and understanding. Do what you want in us and through us, Lord, as we seek to live out your will. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here, and we will see you next Sunday.